Last week we talked about the generation from Judges chapter 2 that followed Joshua and it didn't work out so well for them. They didn't, they didn't take the handoff of the faith that Joshua and his generation tried to pass down to their generation. They, they missed it somehow. They missed the God train and they stood waiting in the depot uh, and they were found to be without God. We also talked about the phases of a kid's life and how a phase is a time frame in a kid's life when you can leverage distinctive opportunities to uh, influence their future. And whether you're a parent or not, this applies to you. We all have stories where adults came into our lives at a certain time and made a big difference in our life. For me, I can point to a neighbor. uh, I can point to a coach. uh, I can point to a teacher. uh, I can point to uh, a relative. Adults who at different times came into my life. In fact, I remember one of my earliest memories is when we lived in downtown Rochester, New York, um, not downtown, but in the city, and my grandfather would come, my mom's dad, he would come, and, and he and my grandmother and my parents would play pinochle down at the kitchen table. And Pa, that, the, what we called him, he would uh, excuse himself to go up and use the restroom. And as he would come down the hall, he would stop, and he would come into my bedroom, and he had a candy bar. And I, a number of times I remember him coming in and giving me, one, t- one time it was a Snickers bar, one time it was M&M's. So I was usually wanting to stay awake for the pinochle game because I might get some, get some rewards. But over, over the years, you can remember when an adult influenced your life and uh, we talked about how you know, kids go through phases. So by extension, we as grandparents or, or parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, people who are involved in kids' lives, we go through these phases where we have opportunities to influence. And the question is, are we going to seize those opportunities to influence? So this morning, we're talking about how to influence the emerging generation, the next generation. For some, of that, for some of us, it's our kids. For some of us, it's the neighbor's kid is the closest that we can come. And then maybe everywhere in between. But all of us have opportunity to provide the six things that every kid needs from their parent or from another key adult in their life. And we're going to talk about those in just a minute. But I want to remind you of these marbles. These marbles uh, represent Amber's three kids and the number of months, no, the number of weeks they have at home before they, you know, turn 18 and allegedly at that point, now those of you who have adult Children know that 18 is not the year when they just take off, right? And if they happen to, they're likely to come back and land in the nest again for a while. But these represent the weeks. Each marble represents the weeks, a week. And Moses said to God, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now something that's fun, and you, you have my permission to do this if you want to, you go to numberyourdays.com. As long as you don't get lost on Facebook, you could pull your phone out. Go to numberyourdays.com and you put the, your, your birth date in there and it will tell you how many days old you are. Now, those of you who are good at math, you could figure it out, right? 365 times 
18 point whatever, however old you are. Some of us aren't that good at math. So I just passed a milestone and I didn't even realize it. I just passed 20,000. I didn't even celebrate my 20,000th birthday, but it came up recently. So I'm now at 20,512 days old. And if I live to 86, which I've always felt like I'm just going to live till I'm 86, which when I was younger, that seemed, oh, I'll never live to 86. It was kind of a it was kind of a overestimating, but now that I'm the age I'm at now, I think that, you know, I could have a few more years than that. But if I live to be 86, I've got exactly from today, I've got exactly 10,900 days more to live. So I'm really two-thirds of the way through my life. Now, if some of you were to go to um, numberyourdays.com and put your birth date in, you're going to be more than two-thirds of the way through your life. But the good thing is, it's nothing because with eternal life, there's no percentage of the way through, right? It's, it's eternal. But for our earthly life, two-thirds for me. So I've got about 10,900 days left to live. So when you see how much time you have left, you tend to get serious about the time you have now, Right? when you see how much time you have left. It's like at the end of the workday, you've got like an hour left, and you realize you've been fiddle-faddling, and you've actually, you're down production, you've actually got like three hours worth of production left, but you've only got an hour left. But when you see how much time you have left, you realize how important it is to work right now. That's true in the life of kids and teenagers. I remember when my daughter turned nine, and I remember thinking, I'm half done. For her, that was true. She left at 18. She went off to college, never to really live at home again after that, except for just in the summers. But I remember when she turned nine. I thought, okay, okay, have I done what I need to do as a parent? Now I've got nine more years. And I guess those second nine went by pretty fast because she's 31 now. And I don't know where all that time went. And, you know, if you're older, you know what I mean. Um, Two things I know about these marbles. Number one, every week matters. Every single week matters. And number two, we're not going to get it all done in one week. You don't, you don't have to because you can't get it all done in one week. But every week does matter because every week that we lose is a week we can never get back. So if you lose money on an investment... You could get that money back, right? You could, and some of you have. But when you lose a week out of your kid's life, a week of influence that you don't deposit into their life, you never get it back. And influence in our kid's life is very much like uh, interest on a deposit that we would make at the bank. You've probably all heard this, the, uh, the illustration that if that if a young adult age 20 invested $1,000 a year for 10 years and then stopped investing at age 30, so they put in $10,000, then another young adult at age 30 started investing $1,000 a year and invested $1,000 every year until they turned 65. Well, when both of them turned 65, the one who stopped at age 30 has more money, given the same similar interest rate. So it's important, very important that we invest in the lives of our kids when they're young. 
because the return will be so much more. But if we wait, if we wait until they're 15 or 18 to get serious about being involved in their lives, then it, it, could, be, it could be too late. So, I've already gotten ahead of myself. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is before Judges chapter 2. And Judges chapter 2 was last week. And we saw that the, the um, generation after Joshua, it didn't fare so well. So it's a little bittersweet to read in Deuteronomy chapter 6 what Moses had to say, a passage that's been taught for thousands of years now, one of the seminal, foundational, consequential passages of the Old Testament. And it didn't last two generations. So, adults, you may have read it and you understand it. Are your grandkids going to live it out? If you're like Joshua, well, I don't know about him personally, but if you're, if you're like his generation, they're not going to. That's how quickly, that's how quickly the, the baton can get dropped. But look here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1, which, by the way, Deuteronomy 5, Moses restates the Ten Commandments in that chapter. He restates them. He's toward the end of his life. He's getting ready to hand over leadership to Joshua. Joshua's going to take them into the promised land. And Moses gets to give some messages to the people before he goes up on the mountain to die. And he says, these are the commands, after repeating the Ten Commandments, he says, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you, to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. So Moses comes out and says, hey, if your kids will live these commands out, they'll enjoy long life. They'll enjoy good life. Joshua is told that afterwards, right? That he is going to, the Lord's going to be with him and he's going to see success if he follows the Lord. Verse 3, Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear and be careful to obey, so that it will go well with you. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then look at this statement. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Way later on in Jeremiah, when, when God would tell his people about this new covenant that he would give them, he talks about it being written not just on stone tablets, but on their hearts. And yet Moses talked about that Way back in Deuteronomy 6, not really that new, that concept that the commandments were not just to be on the stone tablets, but they were to be on their hearts. And then verse 7 says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, 
when you lie down and when you get up. And tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, plaster. Plaster it all over. Set up reminders because you'll be likely to forget. Then in verse 20, he says, In the future, when your kid asks you, What's the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him. Have your kids ever asked you? What do we got to go to church again for? Stupid. Well, do we got to go again? What? Why do we pray before every meal? What do we have to even read our Bibles for? I've read it three times. I've never read any other book that many times. They ever ask you, you know, why do we live the way we live? Everybody else has so much more fun. And when they ask you that, do you know what to tell them? Because some parents, they're like, I never really thought about it. Because sometimes we get into these ruts where we just do what we've always done because we've always done it. And we as adults, right, me, we forget, we stop thinking about why we're doing what we're doing. It's like when I was younger, my mom would say, Jeffrey, slow down, taste the food. Why would I want to taste it? I was eating it, right? Just get it in, just get it in. So God wants us to live out our faith in a way that we we know why we're doing it. We're in relationship with him. And so he says, tell him. In the future, when your son asks you, tell him. Tell him what? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Dot, dot, dot. And he goes on. This is what the Lord did. We were slaves in Egypt. God changed our lives. And what would we say to our kids? We were slaves to sin. We were slaves to death. We were in bondage. We were fearful. We had no hope. We were without Jesus. And God changed all that. That's why we read the Bible. Not because we have to, but because we want to. It's why we talk to the God who is there. Not the God who isn't there. That's why we want to have a relationship with this God who loved us and who cares for us and who provides for us and who frees us. So there's two statements in this passage. Verse 7 and then verse 20 and 21. Verse 7 says, Impress them on your children. Moses lays out, I mean Moses, right? The father of the law, right? He lays out all this information. Then he says, hey folks, impress them on your children. Imprint them on their hearts. And then he says, if your kid asks you, tell them. Give them the story. Tell them the story. Tell them why. They should know why. And as we think about passing the baton of faith down to the next generation... I want to talk to you today and next week about six things that every kid and teenager needs from their parents and from the adults in their life. And the first thing is time over time. 
Now you're saying, well, I was never good at algebra. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Me neither. Time over time. To spend time with them over time. Not just like when you can, but actually make those investments. But an investment now of time over time. You don't have to make every second count, but when you understand that how what you do this week is connected to next week and was connected to last week, then you pretty much, you can, you can have it covered. You can't maximize every second, but you look at the, the broad scope of your influence on your kids' lives, on your grandkids' lives, on your, the, the kid that you work with on Wednesday nights, the kid that you might work with on a Sunday morning, or in your neighborhood, or if you work or serve at a school, the kids that you have influence putting in time over time. Because time over time is what enables you to create history. History with that kid. And history is our life, right? That's our life. One of the things that I know my dad regretted as he got older was that those investments he did not make in his kids' lives when they were younger. Um, I was talking with somebody... I don't even remember who it was. I can always remember conversations, but I can never see the person's face. Not never. Often. And this, this kid was, uh, grew up in a Christian home and had, had a, a pastor for a dad. You know what? It was one of those. I was, at, I was in Omaha this week for the licensing and ordination council that Pastor John and I sit on. And we have questioning for... Um, different candidates who are coming in to be pastors or missionaries and to get ordained. And one of those guys sat there and he talked about how his dad was a pastor and his grandfather was a pastor and, uh, and all this. And I remember looking at this guy and thinking, what do you have inside of you that I don't have? I, I recognized it. And I know the things that I struggle with, that it's, it's uphill for me. And I noted in his life it was not uphill. Why? Because he had a parent investing, investing, investing time over time in his life. Are you doing that for the kids in your life? Are you doing that for your kids? For your, the neighbor kids? You know, you might have a neighbor kid that you might just speak to once a week. But that one time over time can make a big difference. A big difference. You can probably remember a neighbor growing up that had an influence in your life. They probably didn't spend like forever with you, but they spent enough time that they influenced your life. They made a difference. Time over time provides history that writes what our life is going to be like. Dean Wood was a pastor in uh, the, uh, my church in New York, the church I was at in New York. And Dean told me one day, he said, hey, your son's turning four. You can take him on the father-son canoe trip. And when I told my wife about taking our four-year-old son on the father-son canoe trip, all the red flags went up, right? Because she knows I don't swim, and she couldn't imagine me in a canoe with our four-year-old out on a lake or a river. But Dean said, no, you're, you're going, you're going. And so, you know, we put the safety stuff on and all that. For the next eight years, Joel and I went on the father-son canoe trip every fall. And we, we would put in in the stream, and we'd, we'd, we'd uh, paddle through. We'd hit these beaver, 
dams and I'd have to get out and like pull the canoe over then get back in and we come along and then all of a sudden the woods would open up and there was Good Luck Lake in the Adirondack Park. Beautiful. Rimmed with all the changing colors of the trees and we would go across the lake with oh I don't know 20, 30 other canoes and dads and their sons and we'd go over on a part of the lake that wasn't developed and we would clear clear uh, uh, um whatever was there to put our tents down. I remember one morning waking up in the tent that I, it was just a two-person tent. I think it was a one-person tent. It was these round tents that no matter how you turn, there's never any more foot room because it, it doesn't matter. And I woke up one morning and Joel wasn't next to me. I thought, oh, where's Joel? Because we're right near a lake. And so I, I climbed out. And I took a few steps and I looked and there he was standing over along the banks of the lake like this with his, with his fishing pole, stoic as ever, with as patient as ever with a fishing pole in his hand trying to catch the fish. The memories that we have from doing that. And then when he turned four, Doug joined us. And for eight years, we did that. That time, over time, has produced memories and uh, uh, family humor and vocabulary we use that, that came out of those times together. My daughter went on missions trips that I took our youth group on. When she got old enough, she went all four years that she was in high school. And that time that her and I spent together over time really made a difference. So I want to encourage you, think about the time over time that you spend in kids' lives. Now it's hard because Spiritual growth is hard to recognize because it's spiritual, right? It's like it's not, it's not physical. You can see your, you can't even recognize your kids growing physically unless you're marking the door jam, right? With how tall that they are. Then you can see it. Spiritual growth is even more difficult. And day by day, you can't see it and you think, oh, I'm trying, you know, I'm, I'm investing in my kid's life. I don't see anything. It's like looking for those pivotal moments in a kid's life and you're, you're they're hard to predict because they're pretty much unpredictable. But you've just got to show up day after day after day. And all, oh, and all of a sudden you recognize here's this defining moment where I can speak into the life of my kid or speak into the life of this kid that I'm with once a week or speak into the life of this neighbor kid with whom I have a relationship or my grandkid or my niece or my uh, nephew. Time over time is cumulative. And at some point, all of a sudden, you see that payoff, but you don't see it every day or every week or even every month. But you've got to keep making those investments. Keep putting it in. It was as if God decided, I can help you understand something over time that you could never understand in a day or in a, one situation. But, because God created time, right? God created time. When Adam sinned, Jesus could have come right then and died for Adam's sin, and redeemed the human race. But he didn't. Why didn't he? I have no idea. But then again, neither do you. <laughs> and when we get to heaven, we can ask him. Because in our little brains, it sounds like it would have been the right thing to do. But it's something about time that God is creating something. He's doing something. And it's, he's just decided that it's going to take time, and he's willing to invest that time to create something that only time can help create. And it's like that with our kids. So invest that time over time. 
The second thing that every kid needs from their parent or a key adult in their life is love. But they need that love over time. Love over time. Jesus, we've looked at this so many times just since I've been here at this church. Jesus, when asked about that greatest commandment, he goes back to what we read in Deuteronomy. But then he forages around in the law and he pulls out this statement that's tucked away in Leviticus. I don't know, 18, 19, 20 somewhere. And he says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God, to answer your question, with all of your mind, soul, and strength. But there's a second part to the great commandment that's just as important as the first part. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then as it says in the law, I am the Lord, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. So love over time brings worth to a kid. Love over time brings worth. You've been in the store before where you've heard a parent telling their kid, you know, hey, stop doing that. Don't be an idiot. Or you're going to be stupid all your life. To which the kids should reply, well, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. I guess I will be, Dad. You know, but, but you hear those statements. You're never going to amount to anything. Did you do this again? I just told... And just that, that hammering. The sad thing is, you guys, there's a lot of homes right here in Newton where that kind of vocabulary is just pounded into a kid day after day after week after week. And that's not even talking about the physical abuse. But those words, right? James talks about words. They're like, they're like the rudder, right? That just a little word can change the whole course of things. But for some kids, these words just keep getting pounded and pounded. And just like an investment... If you don't start early, you'll lose the window. You'll lose the opportunity. And kids that get told that they're, kids that don't get shown love basically get told that they're worthless. And when that goes into them day after day, it weaves into the fabric of their soul and who they are. I'm worthless. My, My own parents don't even care about me. My own parents don't even love me. They love me when they want me to be good. But when I'm me and sometimes me isn't good, they don't love me. And that kid grows up to be an adult who says, I'm worthless. I'm not loved. And that, that adult can't love. See, we don't really share love until we've received love. And we don't, we don't share and affirm worth in somebody else until we've received it ourselves. And so love over time brings worth. The entire entire story of Scripture is about God telling us we're worth it. It's about God pursuing us and saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, over and over. And the entire story of Scripture is about us dropping the baton or, or, or not grabbing the baton, right? And God coming in front of us again with another baton to pass to us over and over until finally in the New Testament we see God coming to earth himself. It's almost like he's just rolling. I'm just going to do this myself. I'm going to fix this thing. 
and he comes down and he spends time with us. But even at that, he spends 30 years before he even starts his earthly ministry. What was he doing during all that time? I mean, I hope he was being productive, right? I mean, that was was 30 years. God is God. Jesus was divine. He was God. He was doing whatever it was he should have been doing in those 30 years. But I guarantee you this, he was investing into people. He was investing into kids. As an adult, he was investing into teenagers. He is the one that told his disciples, dudes, let the kids come to me. Don't stop them. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Time. We prove love as parents and leaders the same way God proved love to us. We just simply decide to be physically and consistently present with our kids, with all the kids in our life. Now we're talking about our church, right? Our church family. How do we deal with young people? Shove them off in a corner and say you're to be seen and not heard? You're not part of the church, you know, shove them off in some room? No. No, we as adults. So when you see a kid in here or out in the lobby, stop and say hi. Give them the, give them the fist bump. If you don't know their name, call him Major, Captain. Hey, Princess, you know, whatever. Hey, you know, Little Wonder, I don't know what you want to call. Make a connection. Make a connection. Let them know that they're seen and then hear them. This is, we're just talking about as a culture, right? As a culture. As a place where kids come. Let them know, wow, the old people there, they really like me. They think I'm okay. Because you know what? For too many of them in their life, the adults in their immediate vicinity don't think they're okay. Why? Because those poor adults, they probably were in a situation where they weren't thought of as okay. And it's just this vicious cycle. It gets passed down. We can break the cycle. Wednesday nights when we have what we have here, I think about that. Every adult, and some of you serve on Wednesday nights with kids, every time you show up, you're contributing to breaking a cycle, breaking a cycle, breaking a cycle. Every time you affirm a kid and say something positive to a kid, you're breaking the cycle of abuse, of of unloving, of violence maybe, of ignoring of what ultimately lends to worthlessness, that sense of worthlessness in a kid. The third thing that every kid needs from parents and the key adults in their lives is our words. Words over time. We all have a tendency to underestimate the weight of our words. What we say is so important. Research has actually shown in order to think a thought Paint a picture, work a math problem, you need words. Words allow us to think, to see, and to interpret the world around us. So it seems like words must be a pretty big deal to God. He started with a word, right? Let there be light. And God spoke everything into existence. But like all things with power, words have the potential to do as much damage as they do good. Words can be used to love or to hate, to encourage or to tear down. So what we say to kids has more of an impact than we could think. Sometimes an errant word by an adult 
actually sets a kid on a course in their life that's very damaging. Words are important. Last week, a few words from me misdirected a lot of you in directions that I wasn't intending you to go, right? So I used, for a kid, I used his last name instead of his first name. And that was, that created misunderstanding on the platform and out there. Just one word. It was just one word. I mean, I even had the last letter the same, right? And then I said, I said something about, I have to apologize. When you stand in front of people and talk, sometimes you just have to apologize. I said something about kids being like puppies. They're cute when they grow up, but then they turn into dogs. Did I say that? I don't even agree with me saying that. Apparently, I said that. So I was thinking it, and I said that, and it didn't come out right. It was inartful. So words are important, and we're always working on our words. So three things. When you give a kid time over time and love over time, it creates a rich soil where we can plant words over time that will grow up in a kid's life to help them to be loving, to feel worthy, to be successful, to make a difference, to be a, like a, a functional, healthy, vibrant person who's been loved and has been given worth and time and value and good words. That's what we want to do with kids and teenagers at Community Heights. That's what we want to do. For some of us, at certain parts of our life, the cement is hardened. And we're like sometimes taking a sledgehammer to break it back up, right? And try to, it's like what we're seeing in the, all of the parking lots in our whole state, breaking it up and relaying new cement. It's just a lot easier if you don't have the shifting and all the hot and cold, right? If you just had nice, pleasant weather all the time. That's what good things over time produces. So ultimately, the integrated influence of a family and a church together in a kid's life is going to accomplish more than the separate influences of a church and the family. So Londa and Amber together with their teams, our children's ministry program, they're working. And and if you're a parent of a kid, you're you're going to receive information. We want you to know why they're doing it this way. Because they think that when the church and the family works together, that's a greater influence in a kid's life than if it's just the church working and a family working, and there's never any integration. So this week we looked at time over time, love over time, and words over time. And next week we're going to look at the final three. Last week we saw the video about a baby and a toddler. This week we see her in elementary school. So let's take a look at this young girl in middle school. And then tomorrow, next week will be the last one.
shucks, Cody. <laughs> Question is, did she answer it? We'll never know. Would you pray with me? Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would help us as adults in the room to invest in the lives of kids. I thank you for those who volunteer and give dozens and scores of hours every year to work with our kids. Thank you for Londa and her team, for Amber and her team. God, help us this week, though, just this week, to notice kids and teenagers. And in, in, in so noticing them, we notice you, Jesus. Because you, you said when we receive one of these little children, we receive you and even the one who sent you. So we want to receive you, Lord God, by noticing kids and teenagers, by affirming and loving them. In Jesus' name, amen.